Will you please join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. God, our mother and father, we come to you as children. Be with us this day as we explore your word. Help us learn to see one another with new eyes, hear one another with new hearts, and treat one another in a new way. Amen. The scripture lesson is Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, for all the weeks of fearless parenting, uh, we'll begin with a little snippet from Despicable Me. Uh, that's the movie. Um, it's wonderful and cute. Uh, just imagine the evil genius villain having to take care of three little kids. And, and that's the, the best setup uh, for the movie. So today we talk about uh, setting boundaries. That uh, for fearless parenting, this ability to uh, confidently do the job that God's called us to do, and, and hopefully it makes sense that um, if you don't have kids in the home, uh, it still is a helpful piece to know about fearless parenting. Uh, that um, you are always a mentor or an influencer in the life of a child, whether that's grandkids, whether that's niece and nephews, it doesn't matter, right? There's an opportunity for you to be involved in kids' lives. So the first part is kind of the set boundaries. Anytime you set boundaries, it's the difference between us and them, or you and me, uh, or right and wrong. Setting boundaries are, is a beginning part of a parenting process. So I was thinking about what kind of rules might work um, at our house. <laughs> My family's on the front row of this uh, service. Um, so we got a dog, right? Jackson. He's very cute. If you want to know what Jackson looks like, he looks just like Toto from Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, right? Very cute, right? So <clears throat> I thought in my great wisdom, I would make rules about the house. The dog is not allowed in the house, rule one. Okay, so rule two, the dog is allowed in the house, but only in certain rooms. Is this sounding familiar? Rule number three, okay, dog in the house, but not on the furniture, right? Okay, rule four, dog in the house on old furniture, not the new stuff. <sighs> rule number five, 
doggone furniture, but not in bed. Can't sleep with us. Rule number six, dog in bed, but only by invitation. <laughs> Rule number seven, dog in bed. Rule number eight, humans have to ask the dog if they can get on the bed. <laughs> this, do, do you feel like that's a, a kind of a, a process, a part of uh, making rules and boundaries at your house? Do, do you feel like you're like, okay, here's the boundary and it will never be changed. Okay, here's the boundary. And it'll never, right? I mean, so boundaries should be permeable, they should be set, and they should be flexible. They should mark the difference between you and me. But boundaries, um, sure, I could set a boundary between you and me by way of cinder blocks that are six feet high, but there's no way to make connection across a boundary of cinder blocks. I could choose to take a sidewalk chalk and draw a boundary between you and me, but with a, a good rain, that boundary will disappear. The ability to have boundaries that are permeable, that are flexible, and that are appropriate are so important. I, I don't know about you, but boundaries are um, a difficult setup. It's hard to make the boundaries just right. You know, oftentimes as parents, we think about boundaries as restrictions. We think of, all right, here are the rules of the house. Here are the things that you cannot do. And if I catch you doing them, that's what you're going to get. Not that, but like, it's going to be punishment. But psychologists tell us that punishment cannot create behavior. And so the more that we restrict, the more that we narrow down things for the children in our life, the more we're just isolating and keeping them from being connected to others. That if punishment cannot create behavior, we have to think of something else. The National Study for Youth and Religion, uh, a 2004 document that we've been using uh, for quite a while to kind of dictate and describe what we're after. We're after creating a church that youthful believers can become adult believers and not get distracted by college. Now, college is a good thing, right? But oftentimes college promotes a different ideology or uh, promotes a different theology or even just the easiness of promoting a different geography, which then makes it kind of hard to find a, a church home. You see, if we raise our children just to believe in Jesus, well, they can choose not to believe later. But if we raise our children not just to believe in Jesus, but to have the identity of a child of God and to understand the gracious nature of that God and also that there are house rules, now we're on to something. Now we're on to an opportunity where youthful believers become adult believers regardless what happens in between. One of the takeaways of the National Study for Youth and Religion, um, it, it's really easy. I mean, you don't have to know any statistics, you don't have to know any p-values, you don't have to know anything except this, that the biggest correlation between youthful believers becoming adult believers is easy. The faith that you have now is the faith that they'll have then. 
If you're comfortable with the amount of prayer that you do, with the kind of Bible study that you have, if you're comfortable with your level of compassion to care for the least and the last and the lost, if you're comfortable with your level of attendance and engagement and participation in the life of the church, great, because that's what they're going to get. Because values are not taught, they're caught. You see, I, I've said this often, that uh, if I get up at five in the morning and I um, uh, spend an hour in prayer and Bible study and uh, my family gets up at six in the morning and I scramble an egg and help them get off to work and to school and then head to the office myself, you know, uh, 30, 40 years from now, when I'm 70 or 80, when I die, my family will stand up and say, he built his life on a scrambled egg because I, I did all of my prayer and study before they ever got up. What they saw was I started my day with an egg. But in reality, I I start my day with prayer and Bible study, and I want them to as well. And so if I don't lead by example, then I've created an environment where they don't have an opportunity to catch me doing good. And that's kind of an interesting piece when we talk about punishment. If punishment and restriction uh, cannot create behavior, then maybe what we need to do instead of catching our kids doing bad is to catch our kids doing good. And I think that's the place where God is. I mean, if you look at scripture, oh my gosh, there is not, uh, you know, if you think, uh, hey, I haven't read the Bible and I'm sure it's a a bunch of stories about people who are holy minded and um, have great character and virtue, ha, that's hilarious. Right? Uh, Jacob and Esau fight over the birthright. Um, uh, Abraham listens to God and takes Isaac up on the mountain uh, to do a sacrifice, but doesn't bring the animal with him. Uh, You you have David, King David, who's supposed to lead the troops out to war, but instead he takes a pajama day, and while sitting in the palace, he looks down and sees Bathsheba taking a bath, and it just gets worse from there. Right? The, The Bible's not a story of perfect people. The Bible is the story of God's great love for us, a great love that catches us doing good. I wonder how you catch your children doing good. How do we enforce and uh, encourage an opportunity for them to not just believe in what we believe, but identify with a Father in heaven who loves us and cares for us deeply? So um, I believe the scripture passage read today is a wonderful uh, place to think about parenting, right? Uh, to focus on those things that are good, that are, uh, that are commendable, those things that are excellent, that in focusing on those things, we find ourselves in the midst of the peace of God. It's a powerful message. But it's hard for me not to talk about boundaries without going back to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, right? So just a few comments about the Ten Commandments. Notice Exodus chapter 20 starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice that the Ten Commandments, they don't even start with a law or a rule. The Ten Commandments start with God saying, hey, I rescued you, I love you, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery. Now that we're here, here's some good ways to live. How many of us have lived life thinking that we have to clean up before we take a bath, that we have to get right before we get into church, that that God doesn't want anything to do with us because we haven't figured out how to master all the rules? Well, Well, shocker, it's not about you mastering the rules. It's about the fact that God chose you. God chose the Israelites, right? I am the Lord your God. 
I brought you out of the land of Egypt. He didn't say I gave you a test on the 10 commandments and you got a 90%. I'm good, right? A plus, here we go. No, he said I loved you and rescued you. And then come the, the, uh, the commandments. And the first couple of commandments are all about relationship with God, right? We have, um, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now that sounds a little bit harsh, but let's think about that. If you make an idol and worship it, right? It's kind of strange to make an idol and worship it. We worship the one who created us and redeems us, but an idol, an idol is just a thing. It didn't create us. It doesn't have the power to redeem us. And most likely it has the power to condemn us. You can say, well, we don't do any idol worship these days, right? I don't know. You look at those tailgaters at the Texans party, whoo, right? They got the makeup and the, you're not going there. All right. I was going to go with A&M, but I didn't think that would be helpful either. But when you think about the idols, right? I think idols are still present today. I think anytime we believe what the world says about us and try to fulfill it, that's an idol. I think anytime uh, we set up something um, uh, out of order, disordered uh, love, uh, when we pursue a career over family, when we pursue money over relationship, when we pursue uh, illegal drugs or addiction, I think those are the idols that can capture us. And you can say, oh wow, it's really judgmental that God says I'm gonna punish you to the third and fourth generation, but let's be a little bit logical for a second. Is it really God who punishes to the third and fourth generation? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you get stuck in an addiction, it's going to take one, two, three years of for really for that generation to work out. I've always been told that if you go to therapy, which we, we, we believe therapy is a good thing, right? Um, you go to therapy, you're really working on the quality of life for your grandchildren. I mean, your life's gonna get better, but the changes in your behavior and the changes in your life are really gonna have the greatest impact on your grandkids, right? We shouldn't think uh, mean thoughts about God in that God punishes to the third and fourth generation. It may be not that God punishes, but that because of our consequences of following an idol, the consequences last for three or four generations. We look at, um, um, you, shall not use, uh, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit you who misuses his name. That I, people like pass over this one, right? It's, it's like a tiny one, right? But I, when I was teaching a class uh, for a local private Christian uh, school, um, the, the kids would come in and say, hey, Peter, hey, bro, what's up, right? I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I am not your brother. And uh, didn't your mother teach you to put a handle on every name? You may put the handle on my name of Mr. Camerano or Reverend Camerano, right? You, you see, titles are important. If I let them think that I'm their bro, then maybe they won't listen to me when I try to teach them about the subject matter. Right? I think it's uh, interesting that parents some days want to become their child's friend. It, it, it's a miss, a swing and a miss. Titles are important and roles are important. Be the role, right? Because your, your, your kid can have lots, lots of friends, but they only have you as parents. Uh, number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the earth 
heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. What would have been an amazing God who sets a rule that says, take a day off, right? Rest. What is it like for us to live into these boundaries that define who we are? Now, the rest of the commandments are uh, less about our relationship with God and more about our relationship with other people. And they're the big ones, right? We all know these. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not uh, commit adultery or steal or bear fault witness or covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife. Isn't it interesting that we know those? Better not do those, right? But the, but the first ones, the ones between us and God, eh, you know, it's okay, right? You better not, better not murder. But hey, you can skip church. Now the one that's really interesting stuck in between them is honor your mother and father so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's another one of those that's a commandment with uh, a, a so that, right? Some of you remember Bonnie Osteen, uh, one of the associate pastors here about four years ago. She did great work around so that, right? We don't just do things to do them, but we do them so that. So this one, honor your mother and father, so that it might go well with you in the land. Because it's hard to really understand the gift of the promised land unless you've honored mom and dad in the process, right? What would it be like if in our world we treated all of the commandments equally? What if we whispered and um, talked in shadows about how someone doesn't go to church or they uh, didn't honor mom and dad or they took the Lord's name in vain in the same way that we talk about those who have committed adultery or murder? What would it be like for us to think about murder, adultery, and coveting in the same way with the same forgiveness that we think about the early ones about taking the Lord's name in vain and creating idols? Right? What if there was a mixture of uh, justice and grace and mercy among all of them instead of saying, oh, wow, you're damaged goods if you do those, and hey, it's all right, we all do those. When we think about raising children, it's not just getting them to do as I do, but it's getting them to identify as we identify. You see, they can believe in God, and when they get outside of your, I, I used to say when I was a youth director that um, I, I've got them from sixth grade until they get their driver's license. As a youth director, I used to say, I've got them from sixth grade until they get their driver's license. You see, if I don't uh, have a chance to make a transformative experience in their lives where they accept Jesus Christ as their, as their Lord and Savior before they get their driver's license, it's, it's over. I, I don't have any more role. Do you know why? Because they can choose where they go. Prior to that, mom and dad dropped them off. Woohoo! I got a captured audience, right? That, that if it's just about getting them to identify, well, as soon as they can drive, they'll go identify with something else. But if you can convince them of the hope that we find in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you can convince them that God's interested in adopting them as a child of God, they live in God's house to obey God's rules, now you've got something, right? Because believing in is like wearing a jacket. When I don't need to wear the jacket, I don't wear it. But when I do need the jacket, I wear it. But if identity is deeper than a jacket, if identity is deeper than skin, if identity is kind of who I am and how I'm motivated and where I want to spend my life, now I've got you. 
Now God's got us. It's a completely different equation. So some of you are thinking, all right, preacher, get to the practical stuff, right? Uh, well, let's talk about setting boundaries. I think it's perfectly okay uh, as parents um, to go ahead and think about the world that we live in and then set boundaries appropriate for it. Um, have you seen the statistic on how many advertising and marketing messages a kid will experience in the course of one day? It's like in the thousands, right? I mean, in fact, it's kind of a good thing for our kids because they've developed this great uh, bologna sandwich filter um, to kind of filter out those marketing messages, right? They can hear when it's coming. That's why I don't think it's helpful for churches to use marketing messages to get families to come because they're desensitized to it. But then when you read the statistics about how much face-to-face -face conversation um, a parent and a child will have in the course of one day, that's not, uh, did you clean your room, did you brush your teeth, and did you do your homework, right? We'll take those out. What's left, how long is their face-to-face, one-on-one communication? The average amount in America is five minutes. Five minutes. The statistics around screens for children is on average they are in front of a screen for five hours a day. For a high schooler, it's 11 hours a day. Let's see, that's 11. Can you imagine, right? So maybe a boundary we should set is to have a device bucket. And when you come in the house after school or after work, everybody, mom, dad, grandparents, kiddos, all the way down to the lowest one, the devices go where? In the bucket. And you don't pick them up until the morning. What would it be like to remove some of the screens I mean, I used to make fun of folk who'd go as a family to uh, a restaurant and they'd all be on their screen, right? I used to joke that maybe they're texting each other, right? They have a sore throat, they don't want to hurt. And then we went to Chili's and they give you a screen. I, mean, I thought that was hilarious, right? Right there at the table, hey, hey, I don't have to use my battery, I can use theirs. But, but now I catch every once in a while, families doing what I call double screening, right? That's when you got the TV on, and everybody's got a screen in front of them, right? What does that mean that our home life has been taken over by screens? So I call it the um, device bucket. Every device goes into the bucket and that's how it is. Now, it's really important that you uh, ask your kids to do as you do, not do as you say, right? You can't go sneak back in after they go to bed and pull your device out of the bucket, right? No, there's a relationship that you need to have then too with the people in your family who haven't gone to bed yet. What is it like for us to set boundaries and expectations? What is it uh, um, like for us to set a boundary around being fluent in the faith? I love to listen to kids. They are so excited about the coolest things, right? Um, I have kids uh, in my life who are so excited about Minecraft. Have, have you, are you familiar with Minecraft? I mean, this is like cool stuff. This is like Legos, but it's digital, right? I mean, if you're looking for STEM stuff for your kid, buy a Minecraft, right? I mean, it's all that architect and engineering stuff, right? So what would it be like if our kids were as fluent in faith as they were fluent in Minecraft? How are they gonna get there? Well, one, they're gonna get there because we start setting the stage for them to explore. They're gonna get there because, oh, hey, we need to be excited about faith too, and not just whatever's happening at work. I think family meetings are a powerful idea um, you know, if we uh, choose to tell our kids everything they're supposed to do uh, for their whole life, when they finally uh, grow up and become an adult, they'll look for people to tell them what to do as well. 
But at an early age, if we have a family meeting, now there needs to be appropriate decisions, right? I mean, I'm not gonna sit the six month old up and go, all right, honey, what do you wanna do, right? No, no, age appropriate decisions. But uh, I would much rather um, children in my life in our church community make um, mistakes at 11, 12, and 13 than to make them at 23, 24, and 25. The consequences are completely different at 11 and 12 than they are between 22 and 23. But if we never give them a chance for agency and authority, then we're just delaying the moment when they try out their wings. And you know, nobody does it perfect. And everybody crashes once in a while. Practical advice, practical boundaries. I also believe it's really important to go back to that idea that punishment never creates behavior. I mean, you can punish all day long. Sure, it's great, and as soon as they get a driver's license, they're gone. You can punish all day long, and as soon as they get a job, they'll move to a new town. You can punish as much as you want to. You can box them in. You are bigger, you are smarter, usually, and you have more authority. But remember, punishment doesn't create. We often think about the Ten Commandments as a fence that fences us in. What if we thought and taught that the Ten Commandments are not a fence that keeps us in, but guardrails that keep us safe? Guardrails that keep us safe. And so finding ways uh, to empower and encourage, catch our children doing good, um, pass uh, by way of caught, not taught the values that we have, pretty soon you'll find that the faith that you have is the faith that they have as they become adult believers. I think it's a powerful opportunity uh, to, um, one last thing, uh, to pray for your children. Now, now, a a number of you are great ninja prayers, right? You you do the great hide in the shadows and pray. But what is it like for you actually to say to your children, I'm praying for you? And what should you pray for them? Should you pray for them to be, um, you know, a PhD in rocket science? Should you pay for them to pray, pay, pray, pay? Wow, those go quickly together. Should we pray for them to have the right mate? Should we pray for them to do whatever, right? What if, going back to Philippians, we prayed for them to have the peace of God? I mean, think about it, whatever happens in life, whoever you marry, wherever you go, whatever your job is, it doesn't matter. I mean, those things are okay. They can be difficult, they can be strange, they can be awkward, but if I've prayed for my family to have the peace of God, the peace that God knows what God's doing, everything else, it just seems to be less important if you've prayed for them to have the peace of God. Friends, uh, we believe in fearless parenting because the Bible says you were called for a purpose and that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And so you're on the road, on the job, being a parent. Don't let all the talking heads tell you how fearful you should be. Instead, be empowered to be the parents that God's called you to be so that our children will be who God's called them to be, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. 
Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, we want to share a little bit about Stephen Ministry, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you to have a seat. Um, I want to share with you a little bit about Stephen Ministry. You've often heard us talk about Stephen Ministry, that usually there's um, a volunteer who will be right here from Stephen Ministry at the end of a uh, service so that you can pray with someone or arrange care for someone. But let me say a little bit more about who they are. Stephen Ministers are uh, lay folk, volunteers, who have gone through 50 hours of pastoral caregiving. Uh, they've been trained in how to listen, how to pray, how to use scripture responsibly, how to wait, how to be patient, and how to make a confidential relationship uh, with somebody in the congregation. Um, once they've completed their 50 hours of training, they're then commissioned and then put into service. And so we often ask, you know, for folk who are going through difficult times, would you like a Stephen minister? Now, Stephen ministers are available for a lot of different contexts of care, not just difficult, but also uh, celebratory, right? Um, a new baby is a great opportunity for a Stephen minister. Uh, loss of a job, uh, end of a relationship, divorce, um, you know, having to move someplace, uh, being new, having moved here, right? There's a lot of opportunities in addition to grief uh, and other uh, diagnosis of an illness, um, those types of things. They're all uh, helpful to have someone who will walk alongside with you uh, for a time and support you in a confidential way. Uh, I would say that it's the best, I, so I came out of Duke, um, went to serve an associate pastor, as associate pastor at Bel Air Methodist. And um, I decided to take the Stephen ministry training uh, because I figure, you know, you shouldn't ask people to do something that you haven't done yourself. And so I took it and, and I would say that it was the best pastoral caregiving uh, training that I've ever had. Uh, at that point. Now I went on to do a further degree in pastoral counseling and psychotherapy. Um, so it's not everything, but it is something. Um, and I found uh, that my relationship with people who were working, giving care to people through Stephen ministry, that they were just so fulfilled uh, with the work that they were doing. So we're starting a class, um, I think in a month, uh, about six weeks. And so if you feel uh, that you're interested um, in exploring Stephen ministry, you can talk to myself or Pastor Kate. Uh, you can connect with Diane Hill or Ruth Lindvite or Betty Phillips. Those are kind of the crew uh, that's in charge of Stephen ministry these days. Um, I have a video just to make sure because some people um, graciously tune out the pastor when he talks. And so there's a, a video that helped describes uh, what Stephen ministry is about. Janet Jackson Ellis is here as our Stephen ministry representative. If um, you'd like someone to pray with you um, uh, or arrange care for someone, she's welcome to do that. Grab a hand next to you for our closing benediction. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks that you've created a safe place for us to grow, that you've set boundaries around us that don't restrict us, but rather protect us, and that you've called us into the future to raise the children around us, to influence them, to mentor them, not just to believe in something, but to become a child of yours. Send us out into the world to help them become who you've called them to be, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.